and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and all that he has done. As we will see today, we are thankful for his revelation of you. The only way that we can know you is through him. And your son makes that very clear. He is the uh, image of you and he is the exact representation of you being God in the flesh, and only through Him can we know you. And you also tell us, or He tells us, that when we know you, we will have peace. And that's all it requires, is for us to have peace in our heart, is to know you. And so, Father, we long for that knowledge, because we love that peace, and uh, we love your word that imparts that knowledge. And we ask, Father, that through your spirit, we would all be motivated to doing what your word says in obedience. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So in Matthew eleven twenty-five, it's 25 through 30, it's a, it's a very famous passage where the Lord says, take my yoke upon you and, uh, and it's easy and it's light and I will give you rest. Uh, It's a wonderful passage and it's very famous because it's uh, the the promise of rest, which is what every person wants. Uh, But there's only one way to get it, and that's what we start with. Uh, Jesus first, and we want to look at this in context like we do all passages, Jesus praises and thanks. It's actually, if you look at Matthew 11:25, it says at that time Jesus said, "I praise you." If you have a New American Standard, uh, and that is, it's actually the word for confess. It's ex homologeo, uh, which means to confess outwardly. Uh, but when he's he's not obviously confessing sin, and sometimes that word is used for us to confess sin. It's also used for uh, our announcement in heaven or, or an announcement. But since he's saying it to the Father, he, it, it could literally be, uh, I am exclaiming to you, Father. But he is thankful here for the context is obviously thankfulness. Uh, so praise you and thanking you, that really one and the same. Uh, when, in our prayer, when we thank the Lord for what he's given us, and we're truly thankful in our hearts just for him. That, uh, and I say just for him. I mean, that's it's just it's ridiculous to even think of it that way. But we, in our relationship with God, we're often, you know, we're looking for a little extra, and which he provides. Uh, but it's uh, the the word of God reveals to us, as God Himself reveals to us, that what we need is Him and Him alone. And so, this is what the Lord thanks him for. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Uh, the Greek word here means this infants and uh, babes. It's also translated as babes. And <clears throat> so, Jesus here praises or slash thanks the Father, for revealing the truth about God to infants and not to the wise. And so we want to uh, spend a little time here, you know, finding out who are the, the wise, because this is a wise that we don't want to be. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> in the context, if you skip back a paragraph, you'll see that this is spoken by the Lord after he has denounced the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and in Luke's Gospel, also Capernaum. And in Luke's account of this very thing, of this very event, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out have returned. And if you know about that, Jesus told them to go out in pairs, by twos, and to uh, preach to Israel, the towns in Israel, not to Gentiles, but to Israel, that the kingdom of God was at hand, meaning that the king was here, Jesus Christ, and that he gave them the power of miracles. They were able to heal. They were able to cast out demons. And when they returned to him in Luke 10, they're overjoyed because when they 
cast out demons in the name of Jesus, they were cast out. So they, they rejoiced in the fact that they had power over demons. And Jesus says to them in Luke 10, well, you know, I saw, it is a prophetic vision of Satan fallen from heaven. And so what Jesus prophetically saw was the destruction uh, of Satan, the defeat of Satan, and that's in the context of his disciples spreading the gospel. And so we see there that what is the defeat? Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, but Satan is still the prince and the power of the air. Uh, uh, he is still the ruler of this world. And as the church preaches the gospel, um, we overcome his power over people. Uh, well, the gospel does. So uh, the Lord here uh, says that, so the, the 70 went out, and so the places where the Lord preached, these disciples preached. And it's obvious uh, in, the, in the Gospels that they were rejected mostly. Uh, and so he denounces, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida. These are towns that are up and around Galilee and Capernaum's over by the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so when the 70 had returned, uh, they had been rejected, but not by everybody, but mostly by, or, you know, who did reject them? And that's what we want to see. Who rejected the truth? It was the wise and intelligent. So go to 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians one twenty six. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise. Now when we quote this, don't we always say not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty? But we're we're leaving out the, the prepositional phrases. Not many wise what? According to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble. Uh, but God has chosen the foolish things. Again, this prepositional phrase is important, of the world, to shame the wise. So the reference here is according to the flesh and of the world. Uh, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, which again implied reference to the world. And the base things of the world and the despised, we would add, of the world. Uh, God has chosen the things that are not, but not by whose standards of the world, that he might nullify the things that are of the world, uh, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. But, so what has Jesus given to us? So we, we get this, that of the world and of the flesh, why are we not mighty and strong in those things? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. At times, we really do feel uh, too strong in the flesh. Yeah. But why are we not? It's because as believers, we don't put any stock in that. We fail. But we, we confess that those failures. We confess sins because we do not see strength in them. The world does. The world sees pleasure and strength in them. We get fooled into thinking, yes, this time sin's going to really work out for me and I'm going to give in to it uh, and it's going to give me pleasure. And then we're like, <laughs> stupid, uh, uh, fooled again. Do we put our, do we say that, you know, life is in sin? And power is in sin. And life is in the world. The way the world operates. And power is in the world. And we don't say that. Sometimes we fall for it. But we're absolutely convinced that there's no power. No goodness. No life in those places. And so, in comparison to them, we're weak. And as the Lord is really using, what the Lord describes us as, are infants. Right, we want, I don't want to be, a, now this doesn't mean that you can't be skillful at worldly things like a skill. 
uh, or that you can't be rich or that you can't be powerful or have a position of power. It's just that you don't put your stock, your happiness, your, uh, your desires, your dreams, your, your standards are not in those places. If I have money, great, but I don't, I, my happiness doesn't rest in that. And if the Lord says it's going to all be taken away, I mean, Lord, it's your will, not mine. So, uh, <clears throat> so in that, we're infants. Right? We, don't want to, we're not, we don't want to be adult-like. Or really, we would say we don't want to be mature by world standards. We want to be mature by Christ standards. And so, notice what is, happens here is that because we are like this in verse 30, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God. Now, what did Jesus say to us? And we'll return to it in a minute. I thank thee, I praise thee, God, that you have revealed these things, not to the wise, but to the infants. Revealed what thing? Well, we're going to find out that it is the things that are of the Father. So, what did Jesus reveal? He became to us the wisdom from God. And that wisdom is comprised of righteousness, sanctification, the redemption of man. And do you know the wise people of this world, when you tell them you're saved by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, do they say, wow, that's deep, I love it. No. What do they say? You're a fool. You're a fool. But to us, it is the wisdom of God. The fact that God sent His Son to redeem me? Right? I've been half mad at God all day, but I I can't be mad at Him for too long. (laughs) Half mad. You know, I I don't know. I've just had an attitude towards Him today because... Certain things are not working out the way that I want in 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 a particular thing, and and I'm I'm like, come on, man, you know, I'm like Joe Biden, come on, man, and and you know, what is what am I going to do? And he <laughs> he just he lets us he lets us struggle, but he says, you know, you know the truth here. I've loved you. I've redeemed you. You're my own. And so let him who boasts, boast in what? The world, the flesh, my mightiness? No, in the Lord. So we must understand who these wise, mighty, and noble are so we can avoid falling into that. Because this happens to Christians. So go to Romans 1. And for this, today, tomorrow, and forevermore, we should be thankful, uh, even if we're at a dinner with one of those wise, noble, and mighty sitting across the table from us, thinking they know everything. You know? Just reveal the light of Christ to them. But you don't have to be, you know, do they get under your skin? Are they worth that? Are they worth taking your happiness away? You know, do, do their opinions at all impede or interfere with your understanding and knowledge of the Father? Not remotely. But yet we let it. We have to be careful. See, and thankful people will find out. It's very simple. That's why the wise don't like it. Thankful people know the Father. Uh, and to know the Father, Jesus is going to say, you've got to put your head under my yoke. And that sounds like, I don't want to do that. Can I have another yoke, please? Uh, and he, no, no, it has to be mine. Not like mine, either. It's not, he's not going to say, uh, I'm going to put a yoke like mine on you. Which would be very easy to write in the Greek. And uh, he doesn't say that. It's my yoke. So we have to figure out what that is too. But here, here come the, the, um, the wise, mighty, and noble. They are certainly not bearing the attributes of wise 
mighty and noble in the spiritual realm. Right? They're not wise spiritually. They are wise and mighty and noble according to the standards of fallen mankind in his very small and prideful world. Man's world is too small. It's prideful and it's tiny. Right? We think of eternity. Our future home is in a new heaven and new earth in the new Jerusalem where the tree of life sits astride the stream. It's on both sides of the river that flows from the throne of which we eat from that tree uh, and enjoy eternity in perfection. And uh, so the world's too small. Anyway, look at Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Did I tell you to go to Romans 1? I did, okay. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So God gives man a conscience, and the evidence of God is all around us. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, and and they knew him by the fact that they have a conscience within that God has given them, they're created in God's image, every one of us are, and they're surrounded by the attributes of God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Uh, We have the completely denunciation of evolution 1,800 years before it becomes, before it has its birth. But notice that because they did not honor God, they were not thankful. Now, you honor God, you're a thankful person. If you're a thankful person, you're a happy person. See, the reason why I've been cranky with God all day is because I have been unhappy with something. And I know it. And I talk to him about it. And then I let it go. I give it to him. And I say, thank you, Father. And I rip it right back. Yeah. I let my mind start. I start, you know, the wheels start turning. The little mouse in the wheel starts running again. And, and then I'm, I, I take it back. Those who honor God as God are thankful people. So the thankful know the Father. And there's only one who can reveal the Father. And that's the Son. And as Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit that he gave us in John 16, that he would give us the Spirit and the Spirit would reveal the Son and the Son knows the Father. So the Spirit would reveal the Son and therefore the Father. And this is, as we'll see in a second, Jesus described eternal life as knowing the Father. So it doesn't mean, you know, I have to go to seminary or... Uh, you know, know all theology to have eternal life. It, it, what Jesus was saying is that the, the life of eternal life, like the living eternal life, is knowing the Father. All right, so back to Matthew 11. So we just saw in Romans 1 that though the heart of fallen man became foolish and dark, he professed to be wise. What is that called when you profess to be something that you're not? Pride. You know what it's also called is plagiarism. When you produce a work that you've copied from somebody and you don't give them credit, then you've plagiarized. And in fact, it turns out that fallen man plagiarizes God all the time. So Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. 
So the Lord doesn't necessarily lodge a complaint against the wise and intelligent, but he recognizes that they are not those to whom the Father reveals the best things. They know some things, but they don't know the best things. And for this, he thanks the Father. Now, we would think in the natural world that if you're going to reveal something as high and mighty as God himself, Shouldn't it be to the intelligent and wise that you should go first? It's fitted for them. And then we see the disciples that Jesus picked. They're the first ones, the fishermen. You know, they they, they graduated from university? No. Peter? Peter with his foot-shaped mouth? He's not the wisest guy around. Uh, Yeah, no, he picked regular people. Uh, so, you know, are the wise and intelligent best fitted for this revelation? Well, they are fitted for some revelation. We call it revelation. Well, maybe we should just call it knowledge. But if the things revealed lie in their region of wisdom, then sure, then they're fitted for it. You know, someone who's a genius at finance, you know, good ideas about finance fit him, him or her well. But when it comes to this, it doesn't fit them well. No amount of philosophy or reason, skill in physical science is going to help anybody discover the knowledge of God. Nobody. The wisdom of the world contains things like self-protection. Right. We found this when COVID hit the world. What happened? People just, you saw how afraid people were of dying. And... uh So that's what we are, self-protection. But what are we in the Christian life? Jesus said, lay down your life for your friends. Uh, What about in the world, it's precaution. Protect yourself, precaution. We're to take risks on faith, in faith, not stupid risks, not to tempt God. Self-preservation, elevation above others in the world, isolation. It's me. It's a me world. And yet, we're part of a body in which we're to think of others as more important than ourselves and serve others. Uh, we're not to elevate ourselves above others. We're to subordinate ourselves to others. The greatest among you is your servant. Self-love. As Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, in the end, the end times, that men would be lovers of self. We're lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor. So these things that the world are specifically make them unfit for receiving what the Father has to reveal. If God is revealing love of others and you value self-love, how are you going to take that? And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can't believe in me because what you want is to be uh, recognized by others. That's what you want. And so far, you can't receive me. For the people of the world, the wise, mighty, and noble, with all their energy of thought, they could never see the things of the Father as true, even though those things are, as we saw in Romans 1, surrounding them everywhere. Their intelligence labors in the earthly things. We're told in Colossians 3 that we saw a few classes ago, that we are to seek the things above where our life is hid with Christ and not the things of the earth. Their intelligence labors on earthly things and they fill their minds with questions. And they're the wrong questions. Then they fill their minds with conclusions. They come up with their own questions and their own conclusions and their solutions are even bad. I was thinking of the solution to COVID when I thought about... Well, how'd that solution work out? Well, now we know two years later that it was terrible. Uh, What about our solutions? Where are our solutions? They're in the Word of God. And when I thought about it, I said, you know, our questions are in there too. The real questions that are important. We have a lot of, we have questions about the natural world that, like, you know, if you don't figure it out, uh, it's no, no big deal. Uh, <clears throat> you know, how does an internal combustion engine work? I don't care. Just as long as I take my car to the mechanic. 
right? I don't have to know that. But um, when it comes to the questions that the Scripture bring up, those we have to know and have to have answers. But in the world, their questions are too small. Their answers are even smaller because their answers are insufficient. They cannot see the eternal foundations that God has laid in every person. As Solomon described in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the heart of every man and that we're all made in God's image. We saw in Romans 1 that they worship the image of the creature. But we're in God's image. We're not in the image of creatures. But yet, evolution took the world by storm even though it's been scientifically proven to be absolutely false. Scientifically. When's the last time you heard that? Anywhere published. Unfortunately, this happens amongst Christians too. We can have a love of theology, a love of biblical data, and no zeal for God. In other words, we're kind of like that guy who is, which we, we've had a lot of fun with lately, who asked, who is my neighbor? Because he wanted to debate, he didn't want to go and do. And that's what Jesus told him to do twice. Go and do. <clears throat> we are to let biblical data do to us what it's designed to do. is to cause us to love God. This, this word, what's in here, the thoughts about it, are about you knowing and seeing the face of God and loving Him and being so absorbed with Him that you just you know you have to obey Him. You want to obey Him. Even when you don't and you have a bad day and you get it wrong. You never give up on that. Because the data from the Bible is more than data. It's the mind of God. So eternal life is knowing God. John, uh, uh, Jesus, in John 17:3 said this at the beginning of his prayer <clears throat> in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's really what? Well, it's, and John talks, uh, John the writer, um, the Apostle John, talks about this the most in his writing, about eternal life as an experience in time. His gospel is about that. The deity of Christ and the eternal life that he's given us and experiencing eternal life in time. In 1 John, same thing. And so, when it comes to this experience of eternal life, what does it mean now when Jesus is now going to tell us that you've revealed this not to the wise, but to the infants? And then he's going to say, you know what? I want all of you. He's going to throw the net so wide all over the world. And he's going to say, I want all of you who are weary to come to me. And I'll give you rest. And we hear that invitation like, yeah, that's what I want is rest. And then when you come to him, he's holding a yoke. And yokes are designed for pulling stuff. And uh, you're like, uh, how is this rest? You're going to throw this thing on my shoulders? And Jesus is going to tell us, no, you, have to, you have to willfully put your head under this. But here's the thing. You're not under it alone. That's the beauty of it is that he's right by your side to do what he did. Right? We're, we're, we're predestined to become Christ-like. Right? What's the law? The law that we're under, which is, as, as we saw in the last couple of classes in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, that's the law of Christ, who's fulfilled the Mosaic law and now shown us the real depth of the, the real... Um, way of the commandments and uh, given us those and given us himself, entered into union with us and dwelling us and then and, and tells us, you do the will of the Father like I did the will of the Father. By, by love of him and obedience to him by the Holy Spirit. And so as, we, as we're 
on this yoke or under this yoke, the Lord Jesus is with us, intercedes for us, indwells us, encourages us, and goes with us. As we do what? Well, we're not going to the cross, but we're doing the Father's will. Right? Have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he'd emptied himself and became obedient, became a bondservant or became a slave, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have that mind in yourself. It's the same as him. And so it's, it, that's the same. That's in Philippians 2 where Paul wrote, and then we have this that Jesus says is to get under my yoke. It's the same thing. And it sounds like too much. Right? Your yoke. You want, you mean, wait a minute. You mean you want me to do what you did? Yeah. You know, not go to the cross. Uh, not that. But whatever it, the work that God has given you to do. See, God gave him work, Jesus Christ. He was given work to do. And he did it. And God has given us work to do. We have a ministry. We have a spiritual gift. We have works to do. Ephesians 2.10. They've been predetermined for the foundation of the world. And we're to do them just like he did them. With obedient will to the Father. In fact, Jesus loved the will of the Father. The whole meaning of his life was the will of the Father. Now, when I hear myself say that, I'm like, Joe... The whole meaning of your life has to be the will of the Father. Okay? <laughs> so the disconnect between the rea- is that a reality, the thought that I know to be true, and the reality of my walk with God, I mean, for all of us, there's some disconnect there because none of us are perfect at it. But that is what God has given us to do, and, you know, in His patience and grace and forgiveness. He's constantly wanting us to analyze that. And we do that in prayer. And so, looking to the Lord, Jesus was thankful for the work and its purpose, which the Father gave him. When Jesus broke bread at the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. His body would be torn. This is my body which is given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. This is for you. But before he broke that bread, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He was thankful for the purpose, for the work. Some Christians would rather ask, who's my neighbor, than do the work. We'd rather debate the issues theologically rather than just do what the commandments say. Rather than have what the commandments should do to us in the Word of God, in our our time with the Word of God, should allow the zeal of God to overwhelm us into obedience. I find that to be so very true. But you have to be cautious about the conclusion of this because God's, God's zeal... Or this, sorry, the zeal for God must overwhelm you if you're going to do the work properly. Right? If you set off and say, well, I really need to motivate myself to do this work. It lasts for a little while, but like any broken machine, it starts off okay for a few minutes and then it breaks down. And it's because we're not really properly motivated by love. Love of, the God, love of God is the love of the work. You know, and the hatred of the sin that that caused, that uh, interrupts the work, and so. But when you say that, though, you got to be careful about saying, "Well, all right, I'm just going to sit on my hands until I feel like doing the work." And then you'll be waiting for decades. You'll be dead before you feel like it. So, um, all the evil doctrines that debate unimportant issues. Paul writes about this in his epistles where he tells, uh, I think it's in Timothy, he tells them to stop those who are arguing about genealogies and about, you know, things that are of no importance. 
There's a lot of evil doctrines out there that have been born from debating unimportant issues. And actually, whole denominations have been formed out of that nonsense. And where do those false, you know, evil doctrines, sometimes they're not even false. They're just meant for arguing. And all people want to do is argue about, you know, when's the Lord coming back? Or, you know, what, what are those things that come out of the ground in Revelation 9 that look like uh, big locusts? with demonic heads and you know, like stuff about in the book of Revelation that are that is imagery that we can't really possibly unravel. Let's argue about it while we're doing nothing. Where does that come from? The wise and intelligent. Yeah, my, my Greek professor is a very humble man. He we've had some nice conversations about that and he's warned me and he's constantly had to warn himself. If your whole life is biblical academia and you're just in that university in your tweed jacket with the little elbow that pads, not that he doesn't wear those, but uh, you know, that's what I think of. And, and you can get so engrossed in the details of every single syllable and article and accent that's in the language and you never really pull yourself back out and say, what does this all mean? And how does it look in my life? You know, it has to be applied and lived. That's what it's meant for. And it's beautiful when it's lived. Think of the children, as Jesus says for us to be here. And he told his disciples, you know, when the children were, the, the moms were bringing their children uh, to, for Jesus to lay his hands on them and to bless them. And the disciples were like, get these rotten kids out of here. And they didn't say rotten kids, but that's what I assume. And Jesus said, he rebuked them and said, permit the children to come to me. And he touched them and he blessed them. And then he taught them a lesson. See this child, right? Why is the kingdom of heaven made up of children? Because we have children have faith. And we're, we don't have... Or care so much about the wisdom of this world as much as we care about following our Lord, which demands faith. So Jesus gives them this very, very complicated parable. And he says a man had two sons. And he told them both to go out and to work in the vineyard. And the first one said, I'll go. But he didn't go. The second one refused to go, but then later felt bad about it and he went. And Jesus said, all right, who did the will of the Father? Well, can we there's, there's not even anything to debate. <laughs> the one who went, obviously. Philosophers stand outside, looking in, want to analyze, debate, but doers enter in. Jesus gave thanks for doing. This is my body which is given for you. And he was thankful. And we must be entering in like little children and be thankful. And yeah, I know. Do we get it right all the time? No. So we confess and get back in there. In the game. It's not a game. In the plan. So go back to Matthew 11. So Jesus continues. We'll start at 25 again. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So the babes are God's own little children or little ones who are here. Now that we've looked at a few passages, we can see that these are ones that are not corrupted by the wisdom and concerns of the world. Jesus told us very simply, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, where you're going to be, what you're going to wear, or even about tomorrow. I got you covered. 
Be concerned about my righteousness. So that's being not corrupted. The world offers you another righteousness, like, no thanks. The world, the flesh offers you another way. Yeah, I've fallen for that. We get tempted by it, but in, in reality, we don't want it. And so we're not corrupted by wisdom or care of this world. And therefore, we're able to receive, and this is what Jesus says to us, without this corruption, you're able to receive from me revelation. And the revelation is about what? About the Father, about God. Who receives that revelation first? Jesus Christ. No one knows the Father but me. He's the first to reveal, first to receive it, and then he reveals it. So he said, and then we get a little afraid here because he says, "I will reveal it to whom I will." So we think, well, maybe he's going to pass me over. Have you ever had that thought that I'm? I'm so bad at the Christian way of life that maybe those Lordship Salvation folks are right and I just wasn't picked. I have. <laughs> and uh, and then I, I think about it and I talk to God about it. I don't mind that, actually. It doesn't happen very often, but I do remember a time when it was a, a very serious attack upon my soul. And God... I'll never forget it. I was destitute. I was so low. I was doing a study on hell. That's what did it. Yeah, I was was supposed to teach it. This was back in Massachusetts many years ago. I was supposed to teach it at church. And I'm thinking about that and and then my own lack of spirituality. I was like... I'm thinking, you know, I, I deserve to go to this place. And and then I, my faith failed, and I was at my lowest. And I was driving home from school, and there was a bumper sticker on the car in front of me that just had the name Jesus. And I looked at it, and I'm like, stupid bumper sticker. <laughs> I hate bumper stickers. Is this Jesus? Yeah, how about put a verse on there or something? I don't know, Jesus. So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay. And then uh, I take this route home. It's kind of like back roads. I've t- taken it a hundred times, and I, for for whatever reason, glanced at the street sign, and it was Cross Street. Swear to God, the the bumper sticker and the street sign happened within like two minutes of each other, and like I just lost it. I was driving home in tears. Jesus Cross, and I'm like. Why in the world? Why am I doubting? If he would do that, right? This, the God man, does that? Where else do you see that? Anywhere in the world. In any system, any religion, any wisdom, professed wisdom. You don't see it anywhere. Such a sacrifice. You don't see it. So am I going to be skipped over because it's his will? Not at all. There's nothing to fear. What we have to fear is not being a child in faith. That's it. No one, no one is to fear that, they're going to, that there may be nothing that they can do to enter the sphere of the Trinity. That's what this really is. To enter into the knowledge of God the Father is to enter into the sphere of the Trinity, the fellowship of the Trinity. What are we simply got to be? Babes. Infants. I can do that. You don't have to be wise. That's a relief. Right? Somebody says you're stupid. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for noticing. Believers who reject the corruption and wisdom of the world, they listen to the revelation from Christ. And they're thankful for it. And it's enough. He is enough. And you breathe the free air. You're eternally saved and he's enough. And then Jesus says, and you know, I finally got my rest. And then Jesus says, get under my yoke. I'm like, ah, God, here we go again. Here goes my rest. Now I got work to do. Well, of course you have work to do. Life is stuff to do. 
This is good stuff. The method that God has chosen to do this should make thanksgiving swell up in us every day. Certainly we should think about it tomorrow quite a bit. No man is born with or develops any true knowledge of God on their own. Nobody. We can desire this knowledge, but I can't within myself know it. I have to be a child of God. I have to be one of these infants. I have to be a child of God, and I can't make myself a child of God. So, the Father draws near to me by doing what? He sends forth his Son in the likeness of me, of man. And, however, this one who is in my image is also the exact image of the invisible God, and he represents the Father perfectly. And from him comes the gospel, really from the Holy Spirit. And if I say yes to the gospel by faith, he accepts me and receives me. And I accept him and receive him. Then Jesus said, like he said to Nicodemus, you are born again. And you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And now as a child of God, I can know the things freely given by God. See, it's too convoluted. Sorry, it's not convoluted enough for the philosopher. It's simple. I can't know God. God drew to me, drew near to me with his son. His son is like me and like the father. And he died for me. Then he offers me eternal life by faith. And when I believe that, gospel by faith, he makes me a brand new creature in him. And he becomes my big brother. Now, he doesn't say big brother, but I like this. I got this from uh, that phrase from um, George MacDonald. Not old MacDonald, George MacDonald. He's a great Scottish writer. C.S. Lewis's favorite writer. Uh, <clears throat> we all must come to know the Father and the one is, uh, sorry, we all must come to know that to know the Father is the one needful thing that every child of God needs. It's the one needful thing we have, is to know the Father. When we know Him, therefore follow Him, everything else falls right into place. To see the Father is the cry of every child heart that God has made. Then the Lord, seemingly with His own heart, overflowing with gratitude, He says in the passage now, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Is he going to whip me while I'm under this yoke? No. Gently encourage me to do what I could not even dream of doing because of his power that flows through me or his power that really is upon me. By his humble, gentle leading, you will do things that you couldn't possibly imagine. And he says, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Lord seemingly, with his heart overflowing, he casts his net really far. He doesn't say, now those who want to know the Father come to me. He says everybody who's weary and and heavy laden. See, the wise people of the world don't think they're weary or heavy laden. They don't need a Savior. They've got it all. They've got their money. They've got whatever they have. Whatever they have is good enough. And then the promise is that he'll give them rest. This is one of the Lord's, our, his own presentation of the gospel, which is very intensely personal and direct. In it, he casts a wide net to all who are weary. But then when we come to them, he promises what we don't expect. When we come to him, he puts his yoke on us. And actually, he tells us, get under it. Now, this doesn't mean that we take his cross. When Jesus said, pick up the cross, he didn't say my cross. He said, your cross. That time he said, yours. And that cross means death. It means death to the old self. Here, it is his yoke. 
And his yoke is to do what he does and to be what he is. And to do that, however, with him. Not alone, with him. Walking in step with him. Laboring with him. Sharing the load. So before we recoil at the thought, wonder and wonder of wonders, how in the world would a yoke give us rest? But we think of this reality. The Son of God conquered the universe and defeated all of God's enemies. And how did he do it? He took the yoke of the Father upon himself. The Father gave him a yoke and he took it. And this very yoke, right, his life, his way, is ours. It's not a different love. It's not a different hope. It's not a different peace. It's not different fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. The yoke that he took, that was given to him, that saved the world, defeated all of God's enemies, made him king of the universe, is the same yoke that he wants us to get under with him. It's not a different yoke. I, I, I was trying to think of some analogies. Kind of like if Neil Armstrong back in the day said, could you help me fly to the moon? Be my co-pilot on Apollo 11? I can't remember. <laughs> I know 13 was the one that almost made it. had to come back. Um, you know, this is, there's no analogy for it. The greatest man doing the greatest thing in the entire universe in the history of man says, will you get in this with me? Get under this with me. And we're going to pull something. Oh God, what are we pulling? It sounds real heavy. He said, no, 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 no. It's not. It's God the Father's will for your life. Just like His will for my life, this is His will for your life. We're going to pull that together. You want to go? Oh, man, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds awesome in Bible class, and we've got to get out there and do it. And then, uh, but yeah, and, and hopefully we, you know, these are things that we return to and we remember. A yoke is for pulling things. What load are we pulling? Well, we're not pulling it alone, it's alongside the Lord. It is the will of the perfect Father. The Father honors the Son by giving Him His perfect will. The Son honors the Father by accepting that will. Doesn't He? The Father honored Him. The voice from heaven in John 12, it says, uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify Your Son that He may glorify You. And the voice came from heaven and said, I have already glorified it. And we'll glorify it again. They're in it together. They're in it together to save the world. And then Jesus says, will you join us? Not in some other task either. It's the same thing. You are the light of the world. I say, no, Jesus, you're the light of the world. He says, uh-uh, you're the light of the world. All right, you want to, we're going to fight all day. <laughs> I know I am, but what are you? And, and uh, it, you are the light of the world. The gospel I gave is the gospel you gave. The love that I loved, you love with that love. The forgiveness I gave, you forgive just as I forgave. Everything that I've done, I've given to you to do. And now, accept it and be thankful. Jesus was super thankful. You've revealed this, not to the wise ones of the world, but to the children. The commonest duties in our lives are done with our necks under this yoke. Most common things. Doing the will of the Father in all things. This is the babe not corrupted by the world who has put his or her faith in the call of the gospel and then finds the darndest thing that the son is the image of the God, the son is the image of the father and the son has invited us to do the father's will as he does that we may learn of the father firsthand from him from the scriptures that's our textbook but then by doing in obedience under the power of the holy spirit and we are promised the greatest of gifts to know the father 
and find rest for your souls. Once you have that, so-and-so's getting under, yeah, here he comes, here she comes again, uh, whatever. The, the thing happened again, the injury happened again. That's what I'm all, uh, I'll say it pissy about today. You know? uh, th- this happened again, that happened again. Here it comes, whatever. Election didn't work out. Lord, did you read the news today? And, and the shootings around are crazy. But all of, all of this, you know, I know the Father. And the Father knows me. And I'll pray for all of that, and I will do the best that I can for my neighbor. I can't fix the world. Don't you dare take that burden upon your shoulders. That is not yours to bear. That was his to bear. We are to do the Father's will for our lives. So Jesus tells us in his teaching now that rest is only possible when we're under his yoke. That's the only place that we can find it. When we so the wise ones of the world think that fulfillment and happiness and, and um, fulfillment is in other things, and they're always searching, and then it seems like yeah I have it, and then it's gone, and then I ha- I think I have it, and then it's gone, I th- and you never really have it, and over time life becomes uh, incredibly stressful. But for Christ, the will of the Father was his strength and his joy. It really was. It was his strength. He laid aside the use of his deity for those, for those years. The will of the Father was his strength. The will of the Father was his joy. To him, it was the only thing worth living for. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is not advancing the wisdom of the world, but being a child in Christ, uncorrupted by the world. When we give ourselves up to the Father as the Son gave himself, we shall not only find our yoke easy and our burden light, but we will also communicate that ease to others. It will shine right through you. How do you do life with such ease? I have great. Someone told me this. Great. Uh, just told me recently that there's a person in their life. I always try to keep the genders out too, so you don't guess who it is. I don't know why, but <clears throat> um, there's a person in their life who is not a believer, and this person is Christian, uh, very, very uh, sold out Christian. Uh, tells them all the time, you know, you, and, and this person in their life is close to them and they're unhappy and, you know, the, the life is struggling and he, t- he tells them all the time, this is the gospel, this is the gospel, this is the truth, this is the truth, and it's always rejected. And then, turn around, this person says to the Christian person, how, do you, how are you so happy all the time? Literally, I did, uh, this person just told me this story. How are you so happy all the time? How are you so, you know, you just go through it with ease. All right. I've been telling you for 20 years. What do you mean, how? There's only one how. You see, when we get under this yoke, which is it's obedience, we find out that to do the will of the Father is actually the easiest life that there is. To reject the will of the Father and to try and get through life with the, you know, entertaining the sinful things and the things that are disobedient, it just causes havoc and it causes us to stress and have anxiety. It's harder. But to give in, we find ease, and then that ease is communicated to others. You go through life with a kind of lightness to you. And the yoke actually removes our weariness. So, you who are weary, come to me. I put you under my yoke and you find rest. That means the weariness is gone. And so, this upcoming Thanksgiving and Christmas, let us make sure we're not corrupted by the things of the world. Thanksgiving usually isn't. Well, I I guess sometimes it is if if family. I, I I don't deal with that too much anymore. But at all, actually. But Christmas, right? It's coming. 
what you got to buy, what you got to get, dealing with crowds, getting the right gift, doing all the stuff. Leave it be. Right? Or, yeah, do a great job at it, but realize, like a child in the Lord, in Christmas we celebrate the greatest gift given to the world. And this one, as one who has called us and given us this yoke and revealed to us the Father, he's life itself. And we have it for all eternity. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for our Lord. Thank you for the promises, his teachings, the surety of what we know we have in him. Let us be grateful, Father, and thankful, not just because tomorrow's Thanksgiving, but definitely then. But day in and day out, let us be thankful people Because we have you, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you.